Hi. Um, first of all, I just want to thank everyone for coming out tonight and thank REI for letting us be here. Our topic tonight has been inspired by a group that we started at the University of Washington Medical Center about four years ago. In 2001, we had our first team transplant comprised of five transplant recipients. That would be one kidney, one kidney pancreas transplant, and three liver transplants, as well as 30 staff members from the hospital who participated in a four-month training program and completed the Harris Direct Seattle Half Marathon. Um, since then, we've expanded to about 25 transplant recipients, and we're hoping that number will increase every year. Um, we've come up, what we'd like to do tonight is share with you just sort of the process that we found to be successful for our program. Um, we have nine steps. Keep in mind that each step could probably be a talk in and of itself. So we're just trying to get you, um, give you an idea of what it would take or the things that you would need to think about when you're starting a training program. Our overall goal is just to help you see that doing a half marathon is something that would be easily attainable, and hopefully um, the best case scenario is that you decide to, to take it on. Step one, I think the first step in, in deciding to do anything is to actually make that commitment. Um, don't be afraid to start where you are. The nice thing about the Harris Direct Seattle Half Marathon is that they do have a separate walk start um, and a separate run start. So everybody thinks about these big races as like, you know, when they think about doing them, they think, I'm not a runner, I, I don't do that. But the nice thing is, is even if you are a walker, um, you can be included in one of these events. Um, the other thing to realize is I'm sure that some of you out there, I would ask you, do you think you can do a, a half marathon? You'd say, no way. Um, but the thing is, just because you can't go out and do it today, doesn't mean that you can never do it. That's what the training program is all about. That's why we start about four months ahead of time, so that we can be prepared to do the 13.1-mile race when the time comes. Another key thing, or what some people will find is helpful, is telling people what you're doing. Once you make that commitment, tell your friends, tell your family. Um, the more people you have um, asking you um, how your training's going and, and uh, what you're doing on Saturday morning, um, not only gives you more accountability, but it also serves as a source of encouragement. For some people, uh, money talks. And uh, putting down, uh, you know, entering the race, making that financial commitment that you're going to do the race, sometimes that's what will motivate people. And the nice thing about the Harris Direct Seattle Half Marathon is you actually do get a break on the entry fee if you enter early. And finally, find training buddies. Find people to train with. Um, if you know that there's someone who's going to be out there on Saturday morning or um, in the evenings after work um, expecting you to be there to train with them, you're more likely to go do it. And to speak more about that, we have Ron Atkins, one of our heart transplant recipients. And um, just to brag on Ron a little bit, he actually did his first half marathon five months after he received his heart transplant. And I know that he has actually had training partners with him um, since the very, since he even started training. So I'm going to let him talk to you a little bit about what that's meant to him and how that's helped him to make the commitment. It's uh, made it a lot easier. Uh, it doesn't make it any easier to walk, but uh, if you've got someone there step by step with you suffering the way you are, it's very, very encouraging. Uh, it's... Um, something that I wouldn't be doing if I wasn't involved with Team Transplant because it is a situation where is if I know that my teammates are they're going to be there, I make sure that I try to be there if at all possible. It's something that uh, builds camaraderie between uh, transplant patients. Um, you know, a lot of these people I didn't know before I joined trans Team Transplant. Um, I enjoy their friendship. I enjoy talking to them and sharing their experiences, and I enjoy my experience with the team. Uh, that's going from being able to walk maybe a block to walking 13.1 miles. That's, to me, that's amazing. And I know if it wasn't for Team Transplant uh, being there for me, I would not be able to do that. Thanks, Ron. Okay, so now you've made the commitment. I think the next step is you need to make sure you get the right equipment. You need to equip yourself properly. Um, the first point is proper shoes. 
make sure you get the appropriate running or walking shoes. I think it's important to go to a store that actually specializes in running or running shoes or walking shoes. Um, they typically have you know, the most well-trained employees, people who can watch you run or walk across the store. Some places will let you go out and run around the block. They'll come out and watch you, um, see um, how, your, how your body works in the shoe. Some places will actually do a video analysis, and they can help you determine what shoe works best for you that way. Um, people always ask, what is the best shoe? And I think there's a lot of good brands of shoes out there. The thing is, you just need to find the one that works best for you. Training gear. Um, some, I think some people think, well, I'm going to start running. I'm just going to go to my closet, pull in a pair of shorts, sweatshirt, and go out and run. Uh, and that's fine if it's you know August or September when it's still pretty dry. But if you think about the Harris Direct or the Seattle Harris Direct Half Marathon, it's actually scheduled in the end of November. That means that not only has the time changed by that point, but also the weather is changing. And I think that all these people will tell you that there's some pretty bleak training days um, during October and November. Um, you want to make sure that you're wearing the right attire. Uh, it can make it a much more pleasant experience. And to demonstrate appropriate attire, I have a couple of our kidney transplants here. Deborah Johnson actually has done two of the half marathons with us. Um, her first one was in 2003, sorry, 2002. Um, and she did that only four or five months after she received her kidney transplant. Morgan Wong here is 23 years out from his kidney transplant. And in 2003, he did the full marathon and uh, then followed up with the half marathon last year. So anyway, if you take a look at the two of them, you can kind of contrast their types of clothing. We have Deborah in her Keds. <laughs> She's also wearing a fairly bulky sweatshirt here, made out of cotton, right? Cotton. Cotton sweatpants, cotton socks. The problem with cotton is that when it rains, um, if there's any kind of moisture, it's going to absorb all that moisture. By the time you finish your workout, you're going to be feeling really heavy. Um, and it's also going to be making more at risk for feeling for um, chafing. Wet cotton's um, a fairly abrasive surface. Um, wet, wet cotton socks are going to make you more at risk for blisters. So you want to get some kind of synthetic material, kind of like what Morgan has here. Um, a wool. He actually has wool. Um, so a synthetic fiber or wool socks um, that will help wick that moisture away from your skin. Okay. You also notice he's wearing. Um, this nice jacket here. He's got um, a moisture wicking material for the vest, or, or sorry, for the, for the shirt underneath. It's probably like a polypropylene or some kind of capylene or polyester blend. Um, wool also works nicely for shirts. Um, and again, that will help wick that moisture away from his skin. It also won't retain as much water if it's raining outside. He's also added his own little touch that I didn't think about before the program, and he is actually layering his clothing. Um, another good thing to think about when you're out training, um, it'll actually help keep warmth in um, by creating more layers of air. It also makes it nice because if you get hot, you can take off the jacket. Um, you can wrap it around your waist. Um, you're not stuck wearing that heavy sweatshirt like Deborah is. Um, another thing to think about is wearing a hat for when it's raining. It's nice to have a hat um, to kind of deflect the, the moisture or the rain. Um, and he's also got this nice reflective stripe on his jacket that as it gets darker, it's nice to make sure that you're very visible. And even, you know, it's, I'm assuming all of you live here um, in the fall, you know that it starts getting dark like around 4 o'clock and it makes it more difficult to get out and do your training in the daylight hours. Another example of reflective training where we have Steve and Jeannie Reynolds here on a morning walk out at Alki. You can see it's still pretty dark out, but they've got that nice re yellow reflective gear on. Um, so they can definitely be seen. I always like it when they're wearing those because I know exactly where they are. So if nothing else, you need to think about your, your coach. Um, and some other things to think about um, is getting a digital watch. Uh, something where you can record your time. If you're somewhere where you don't, some, some training programs have you run or walk for time. Um, so it's a nice way if you have a 45-minute walk, you can actually record it instead of trying to catch the, you know, 
make sure the long hand's on an actual number when you start out. Um, you may also be trying to do like a run walking program. You may be running like five minutes and walking two minutes. It's a lot easier to keep track of that on a digital watch than it is on your regular Timex watch. Some other things to think about are water bottles, especially if you're going to be out for a long time. And actually, I picked these up downstairs. Um, but we especially try to get our walkers to take, make sure they're taking water with them because um, they tend to be out for longer periods of time. And even though it's going to be raining in October and November, you still need to work on hydration. Here's one that's just a single, single bottle. They've got them where you can have two bottles. And then he, there's actually this new little camelback thing that uh, I think may be more attractive to runners. Um, the next thing is to come up with a training plan. Uh, most important thing is making sure you allow yourself enough time to prepare. Okay? With Team Transplant, we typically allow four months to train for the Harris Direct Seattle Half Marathon. Um, with the goal being that when people come to start the training, they're already up to three miles. So they've already got a little bit of a jump. They're not coming directly to me from the couch. Um, you want to include four to five days of exercise per week. You know, I think there's, I think it's very easy to look at something like this and want to, and see what, you know, the Boston Marathon was today and um, think of what they're doing as the type of training you need to do for a big event. Um, that's not the case. If you're not going to be running that fast, you know, they're elite athletes, they're trying to win. Um, if your goal is just to start a training program and finish the race, you need to be able to come up with something that you can easily work within your life. You know, you need to be able to work it in around work, um, family obligations, a personal life. So you need to at least try to get in four to five days of exercise a week. I don't think you have to worry about training every single day. Um, include one long run or walk per week. Um, typically, this is done on the weekend, since that's when people have the most time to do something like that. We meet as a team on Saturday mornings to do that. Um, and you want to increase it by about two miles, no more than two miles each time. So for example, we would start with about a three to four mile walk or run on our first practice session, and then maybe bump it up to five or six miles after a couple of weeks. Um, I think it's good to include cross-training one to two days a week. Um, the benefits of doing this is that it gives you, um, it's, it, it serves as a nice break, keeps you fresh. It's a different activity so you don't get burned out. Um, it also helps train different muscles. It helps work your cardiovascular system. And uh, the problem with people starting out with exercise isn't if we're not afraid you know, we tell you to start slowly. It's not so much that we think you're going to go wear yourself out. It's more that we're concerned that you're adding a lot of new pounding to your joints and muscles and you're more at risk for injury. So the nice thing about a lot of the cross-training activities is you can work on your aerobic fitness and maybe wear yourself out, but you're not going to make yourself, it's not as likely that you're going to get injured. There's less pounding. So something like biking or, you know, riding an exercise bike, going for a bike ride, swimming, um, um, using a rowing machine or a Stairmaster, something with non-impact. And I think that you can be very successful with a training program by incorporating these as part of your plan. Um, practice on the appropriate train. Here we have the elevation profile of the Harris Direct Seattle Half Marathon. And it's always sort of fun to me when you look at something that's 13.1 miles and you squish it down to about five inches. Um, it always looks a lot more dramatic than it really is. Um, nonetheless, there are some good hills along this course um, that you would want to be aware of. And the nice thing is that a, lot, a, lot, a good percentage of the course is open to you during the week or on the weekends, and you can actually go train along the course. Training along this flat part here, well, this first part with the hill is actually the I-90 on-ramp. So you don't really get to experience that unless you want to just check it. You don't get to experience on foot. You can go drive it on your car. Um, the flat part is uh, along Lake Washington Boulevard. And then that other, the other bump there at, towards the end, the first one I think is up Madison Avenue, and then the rest is, is kind of through the Arboretum and, and through Interlochen. But a lot of that is pretty open, um, you know, accessible for training. And the closer you get to race day, the more you'll see people out checking out the course. There'll be a lot more runners will be out there. 
Um, so I think that's very important. You don't want to be too surprised on race day. Another important thing is to work on technique. Um, with running, you want to make sure that your, your uh, posture is good, keep your arms, arm swing at about waist level, um, try to work on an efficient stride. With walking, um, I think most people probably wouldn't have a hard time just kind of strolling along doing a half marathon. Um, but if you look at Gary Lannis here, Gary is one of our transplant recipients who took on training um, just shortly after his liver transplant as well. Um, and he really, in the last few years, has been working on his form and technique and really using his arms and really um, trying to bring his time down. The benefit of that is you get a really good workout out of it. And for Gary, I think he's been able to bring his time down by two minutes per mile. So that's pretty significant. So when we're talking about training for the half marathon, um, it's about you know, actually getting a good fitness workout out of it, out of what we're doing. Look for training groups. I think Ron did a good job of talking about the importance of having a group to train with. Um, in, in the Seattle area, there are a lot of good groups. Um, so I'd encourage you to look into that, uh, finding someone to train with. Um, it's a great way to um, have, an, there's a great exchange of ideas. You'll get, pick up, you know, what other people are doing with their training. A lot of them may have sort of an expert on site who is available to answer questions. Um, so that can be a great way to get, get some information. I also think it's a great idea to include a practice race along the way, maybe at about the halfway point of, of your training program. Um, for us, we go do a race over, a 10K over in Issaquah. Um, the nice thing about that, it breaks up the training routine. You know, if you're used to just going out and going around Green Lake three times, it's kind of nice to drive over the, uh, over I-90 to Issaquah <laughs> and do a race. Um, gives you a different scenery. It also helps if you've never been in a race before. It's a great opportunity for you to actually, you know, what's it like to put your number on? What's, what's this computer chip thing all about? And what's it like to be out there running or walking with a great group of people around you? So it's a great way to kind of, um, kind of get, feel out the experience before uh, your actual ultimate goal. Um, step four, fuel yourself. And as a dietitian, I obviously think that this one could be a whole talk in of, of itself. But I'm going to try to condense it down for you. Um, so again, this is just going to be basic information. Um, obviously, well. Probably, I think the last few years, carbohydrates have really gotten a bad rap when it comes to, when it comes to diet. Um, if you're exercising, if you're training, if you're active, there's no question about it. You need to include an adequate num number, amount of carbohydrate in your diet. That's what's going to help fuel your muscles. That's what's going to help you recover from your exercise so you can get out and train again. Um, so carbohydrates, you need to include whole grain cereals, whole breads, pasta, rice, potatoes, all great sources of carbohydrate. Having said that, though, doesn't mean that you don't need protein. Protein is still a very, very important part of the training diet. Um, protein helps you, helps you build muscle and rebuild muscle. Um, once you go out and start exercising, you'll find that your body really takes on a lot of pounding. It's kind of destructive. So you want to make sure you're giving yourself what you need to rebuild. Um, good sources of lean protein, you know, dairy products, yogurt, um, lean meats, chicken, poultry without the skin, fish, beans, lentils, tofu are all great sources of protein. You want to include those in your diet every day. Um, fat, I think there actually are some diets out there that recommend a higher fat diet um, for exercising or for athletes. Again, I think that um, it just comes down to less than 30% of total calories, which is what the American Heart Association recommends. Um, as far as the fat content. And it's pretty easy to figure that out when you're looking at food labels. Um, vitamins and minerals. Um, if, you want, if you're not sure you're following a balanced diet or a little concerned that maybe you need a little bit more because you're exercising, I think it's okay to take just a general multivitamin, something that will give you 100% of the RDA of vitamins and minerals. Um, you don't have to take anything fancy. There really is no research to show that taking supplements above and beyond what you need is, is, is going to benefit your, your uh, performance, unless you're already deficient. Okay. Um, hydration, 
Hydration is very key. Um, that is something you need to work on starting now. You should be even working on that even if you haven't started your training program. Um, you probably all heard that everyone needs eight cups of fluid a day to maintain their hydration. Um, and that is a good, that's a good kind of general standard. If you're exercising, you need even more because you're sweating more. Um, so if you weigh yourself before you go out to exercise, and then you weigh yourself when you come back in, um, and you see that you've lost weight and you get all excited, um, that's actually fluid weight that you've lost. Um, it's not fat. Um, so for every pound that you find you've lost, you need to replace that with two cups of water or, or some kind of fluid. Um, during exercise, um, it's important to get used to, to drinking during exercise. Re general recommendation is four to eight ounces for every 15 to 30 minutes of exercise. Um, and that just kind of helps you maintain your hydration along the way so you don't have so much catch up at the end. It's also a great way to practice for race day. Um, find out what kind of, um, what kind of fluids they'll be serving along the course. A lot of times it's like Powerade or Gatorade or Excel or, you know, just it's some kind of sports drink. Try it out ahead of time um, just to make sure your stomach will tolerate it, um, just to make sure that um, it's something you like. If, you know, you don't like it or you don't tolerate it, then try to come up with some other plan, you know, have carrying your water with you in one of those waste belts um, or your, your sports drink that, that you actually liked. Um, you might try diluting Gatorade. Um, sometimes that's easier to tolerate the, the diluted sports drink. There's been recent news articles, I know, um, about people who drink too much um, during races. <laughs> and uh, I still, I think that, um, you know, the best way to avoid that problem is to practice along the way and get used to hydrating as you're training. I think what happens is people overheat um, you know, they get into very hot races, they lose a lot of sweat, um, which includes losing sodium, and then what they do is they just replace it with water. So the big thing is just to make sure you know how your body responds to the heat, make sure your body knows how to, it responds in training, make sure you know, you know what it feels like when you're overhydrated, and drinking the sports drinks instead of water. That's a way to make sure you're taking in some additional sodium. Other things to think about are things like the gels, the gels and the sports bars. These are things that you can take with you to give you extra energy along the way, um, to help maintain your energy stores along the way. The sports gels, again, any of these things you want to try ahead of time, okay? These take a little getting used to. Um, the cliff shots, the power gels, the goos, and the honey stingers. Um, that's a new one. Um, but, you know, you want to make sure you have water when you try these. Um, but they definitely can make a difference. The power, the power bars and the sports bars, I think these are more appropriate for people who are walking. I think the more jiggling you're doing, the less tolerant you're going to be of solid foods. And these are much easier to take on a jiggling stomach. And here is one of our team transplant practices. We actually have a water station set up. Um, so we really tried, and this is two of our participants here who are helping out with that. Um, so again, you know, that's a nice way to include your family and incorporate your friends is tell them you're going on this long run or walk and, and see if they can come out and support you and be there and meet you with a, some water or Gatorade at some point along the way. <coughs> Step five is taking care of yourself. Make sure you're maintaining your your own good health, and make sure you're maintaining your body. Um, one of the things we do with Team Transplant is we have a stretching routine we go through before practices. Um, and speaking with one of our physical therapists, she suggested I tell you to stretch either before or after um, you exercise. I think there's a tendency sometimes, I think there's two tendencies. One is to not stretch at all, and the other is to stretch too much. So the, the thing you need to do is find a nice balance. The important thing, to, though, is to make sure you warm up ahead of time. Um, we typically go for a five to 10 minute walk or run before we stretch. Other options might be to do some jumping jacks, um, get on an exercise bike, maybe take a warm shower, anything to get the blood circulating through your muscles and make sure that you're not stretching cold muscles. Um, 
Secondly, you want to hold a stretch. You don't want to, you don't want to bounce. You want to hold it for 20 to 30 seconds. Um, and make sure you're working on the proper technique. You don't want to be, you know, if, you're, if your knee joint's meant to move in a straight line, you don't want to be bending it sideways. Um, so make sure you're, you're following appropriate technique. And then um, another important key is to make sure that you breathe while you're stretching. Um, it's amazing, and I, I catch myself doing this, is when you're doing something, you, you're holding a stretch and you realize you're not really breathing. And that's what actually helps you to relax even more. <laughs> to demonstrate some of the stretches we do at our practices, we have Terry Way and Mark Rosenbaum. Terry was transplanted in 2000, had a liver transplant in the year 2000. Mark was transplanted in 2001. Both have been with us ever, since the very beginning of team transplant. Um, both of them have done four Harris Direct Seattle half marathons, and they're both gearing up to do the Capital Cities half marathon down in Olympia in a month. So they're going to show you some of the stretches that we do at our practices. This one, <laughs> and, and it's always good to find a training partner or a wall or something where you can make sure that you're not bouncing around everywhere. Um, this one is to stretch your lower calf, stretches the muscle right down here. And then, yeah, it's important to do both legs. <laughs> and if you bend your knee a little bit, you can actually get the soleus muscle. So if you bend this knee, I don't know if you're bending it, Mark. <laughs> there you go. So you can get a little extra, a little extra benefit from that stretch. Um, and again, the training partner comes in handy. Um, here they're training, they're stretching the front part of your leg, um, the quadricep muscle. And here's where it's, I think it's important to bring the, bring your uh, foot back straight and not kind of twist it over to the side. Okay. Oh, now, now we have two different types of stretches, right? One, Terry's going to sit down for you, and Mark's going to do the standing up stretch for you. Okay, this stretch is designed to stretch your, your groin muscle. Um, yeah, right in there. Um, Terry's doing what's considered the butterfly stretch, and it's, look at his great posture. He's sitting up straight. Mark's a little slouchy. <laughs> okay, that's good. <laughs> okay, now to stretch the hamstrings. Um, Terry's doing the simple hurdler stretch. And again, the thing is, I don't know how many of you grew up, you know, bending your knee out to the outside, but now you need to bend your, bring your foot into, the, into your leg like Terry's doing. It's good to keep a, a little bit of a bend in your knee when you're doing the stretch. You don't want to lock your knees. Um, and Mark is doing the stand-up version, <laughs> both to stretch your, your hamstrings. All right, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, um, strengthening. Strengthening, you know, getting a strength program is uh, also very important to an overall training program. Um, you know, not only does it make you stronger, so hopefully you become a better athlete, um, it also helps to prevent injuries. Um, if you're straight, you know, um, it's, it's sort of a protective measure. Um, probably the best, um, best advice would be to join a local gym, someplace where they actually have classes where they can teach you to use the equipment appropriately. Again, that's somewhere, something where you can get yourself in trouble if you're using the equipment the wrong way or um, if you're, uh, I mean, that could obviously lead to more injuries. Um, YMCAs are a great place to take classes. Um, community centers will often have gyms and, and offer classes on how to use the equipment. Another option is to use something like a um, TheraBand. These bands. You can get these at a lot of sporting goods stores. Um, and the nice things about these is you can do them at home. They're fairly inexpensive. You know, you can do little stretching exercises. The different colors tell you um, that they're different resistances. So some of them are going to be a lot, a lot more difficult to pull. And there's a lot of different versions. Um, I've been told that they also come with an instruction manual as well as a video. So you, you can get some ideas about the best ways to use them. Rest. Rest is key. I think it's very easy to uh, decide that you're going to do some kind of a training program 
and, excuse me, and then um, decide that you're doing this on top of everything else. And so the one thing that tends to slide is sleeping and taking time for yourself and actually resting. Um, the thing I'd want you to think about, though, is if you're putting all this energy and time and effort into doing something and being successful, then you want to also be taking care of yourself, and rest is a big part of that. So it's not just so that you don't get tired and sleepy. It's also that rest is a big, plays a big role in helping to prevent injuries, and it's a good time for your body to repair itself. So don't slack off on the resting. You may have to give up some other, you know, compromise some other, other area of your life for a short time. And then finally, staying motivated. Um, how do you stay motivated to keep training? You know, a lot of times when I've worked with people, they tend to get complain about getting burned out about midway to three-fourths of the way through the training program. Um, and that's pretty typical, and maybe that's one thing people should know is to, is, is to expect to feel that way. Um, but we have a couple of experts over here who are going to talk a little bit about how they have been able to stay motivated with their training. And here we have Colin Rines and Mary Jo, Mary jo Fraser. Colin actually started out as water boy or water purveyor um, three years ago. 2002, and he's worked his way all the way up to half marathon finisher this last year. And Mary Jo Fraser actually was just transplanted in October of 2003, mm -hmm. and she just finished her first, running her first half marathon um, this past November with the Harris Direct Seattle Half Marathon, and uh, actually even did, just did the Whidbey Island Half Marathon about a week and a half ago. So I'm going to let them tell you a little bit about what has kept them motivated to continue their training. I'm Colin Rines. Um, I'm a liver transplant patient in 2002. That's when I had my, in fact, three years ago this month. And after my transplant, I realized that uh, it was finally time for me to start doing something that I had never done before. You know, I don't know how often that happens, but you know, I wanted to do something that I had not done. I wanted to do something new, and I wanted to do something that helped me physically. And um, and, and really part of the prime motivation has always been to get in better shape, lose that weight that we kind of sweat off, but leave it off, right? <laughs> so I tried to um, find something, and it became pretty obvious that team transplant was a good way for me to do that. So my first motivation was to do something that was new that I had never done before, and, and to involve somehow the physical fitness thing, which what the hospital wanted me to do, and I've always wanted to do all my life. And, um, and, and that has worked for me. That has worked really well. And the other thing that really kept me motivated to come out, because we're talking about starting and, and maintaining that training program, the thing that really helped me a lot was being with the team, being with these people. You know, you sort of make an, an unwritten commitment to be there to walk with each other, to help each other. You know, and I, every time I see a race or something, I'm always thinking of these poor people out there, they're running forever. Um, by themselves, all alone, nobody to talk to, and, um, and that's not the way it was for us, for me especially. You know, I'm, I'm a walker, not a runner, um, and I was always with somebody, always talking to somebody, and you sort of build a commitment to show up each week, and that's one of the key things that got me um, through the training and, uh, and to the half marathon. Um, now, we do the half marathon. This is the reason why we do it, why I did it, you know. <laughs> I mean... When I, the year that I was the water boy, after the marathon, we have a dinner to celebrate having done what we managed to do. And, and uh, I didn't get one of these for finishing it, but all these people that are sitting here and then you've seen pictures on the screen, they came in with these medals. And I looked at it and I said, boy, I want one of those. You know, I want one of those. I'm going to get one. And, um, and that was another one of my motivations. You know, it's the kind of thing that doesn't work for everybody, but whatever works for us, you know, if we just step up and embrace it and keep it going, it's one more thing that keeps us going along the way. And then I think the last thing is that being healthy is part of uh, an obligation I think we share as transplant patients um, to our donors. And um, that is something that, that I take very seriously. So, you know, it all adds up. You know, there's not, there's not a formula. It's just pieces of it work for everybody. And that's what's working for me right now. And um, I'm looking forward to walking another half marathon. Um, maybe someday I'll learn how to run one. And, uh, but it doesn't matter. The point is that, that I did it and I finished. And, and I, I can't explain the feeling 
of walking across that, that finish line in that stadium. It was pretty cool. It was really cool. Anyway, Mary Jo? Thank you. Uh, what has uh, extremely motivated me was the fact that uh, when my youngest son was five months old is when I had my transplant. And so I have two small boys that, are, uh, that I have to be able to keep up with. So, and also with being able to train with these, with the team, I'm, that's my out on Saturday and dad gets to watch the kids. So I get a, <laughs> I get a leave. But, um, and the, also the, the most important thing is um, for my donor's family to, it's my responsibility to, you know, keep this liver alive and healthy and functioning. And, and also with that, it keeps me alive and functioning and it makes me feel great. And it's just, it's the best thing, having a liver transplant and then being able to train with these people is the best thing that's ever happened to me, other than my husband and kids, but you know what I mean. <laughs> but no, I've really enjoyed every, all the time with them, so thank you. I think you gotta keep that. All right, thanks you guys. Okay, so now you've done all the training, you've, you've gotten through that little lull in your motivation, and now it's race day, and now you're all excited again. Um, so I just wanted to go over a few things that you want to think about in your pre-race day preparation. Um, you want to make your, you want to cut back on your training the week before the race. Um, you want your last long run or walk to be about two weeks before, beforehand. Um, now at this point you might have gotten all excited and you're totally in the routine and you really are excited about going and meeting your training buddies and you're afraid you're going to lose your fitness. Um, that's not going to happen. In fact, this will actually help you a lot more. Um, don't put all this work and effort into training for this and then not take the time to cut back um, beforehand. And that's a way to really, a lot of people really sabotage themselves on race day. It's not by not, it's called tapering, uh, but by not tapering beforehand. Um, so that way you allow yourself all the best chances um, that you deserve to do well on race day. Again, resting, hydration, nutrition, all very important leading up to, up to the big day. Um, resting, you know, we're telling you to cut back on training, so now you have all that time, you need to go clean the gutters, play, you know, um, flag football with the kids, and um, catch up on all that housework that you've been letting slide. Um, well, maybe you should go watch a movie with your kids or something more restful. Don't take this time to take on all these other physical activities. Rest means to rest. Um, hydration, again, you want to make sure you're staying on top of drinking plenty of fluids um, during this time. And nutrition, again, really trying to emphasize the carbohydrates, but not to the exclusion of, of protein. You still want to be including adequate protein in your diet. Um, some things people don't think about that may come as a surprise. You have to go pick up your race number. Um, the Harris Direct Seattle Half Marathon actually has a, uh, a big expo the two days before uh, the event where you go pick up your race number, you get your computer chip, you get this goodie bag. Um, and in that goodie bag, you may find, or, or, and at the expo as well, you may find samples of things like Gatorade and Power Bars and little munchy things that are supposed to be good for you on race day. But I would really caution you um, not to try them out on race day. Um, one thing we really try to tell people is no new on race day. That means when you go to, go to be on the starting line, you know what sports drink you're going to try, what you're going to drink. Um, you don't have some new little power gel. You haven't decided just to try the honey stinger that day. Um, you're you know your shoes. You, you don't go buy a new pair of shoes the day before and decide to wear them for the race. You wear a pair of shoes that you know feel comfortable and that are well broken in. Um, the same with your clothes. I mean, you may wear a new singlet or shirt that rubs a certain way. You know, it may rub a certain way and you'll end up, you know, with big chafing problems on race day. So it's good when you get to the race line, to the starting line, um, that you're there with everything's familiar. Okay, race day. So now the big day. Um, I always tell people to make sure they arrive early, and they probably all um, frown at me when I tell them how early we're going to be meeting. Um, but it's a good, you know, it gets really crowded around the race start, especially if it's a big race. So you want to allow yourself plenty of time to find parking um, and use the bathroom. So you may find um, if you're uh, um, kind of anxious, you may find that you're having to make more porta potty runs. And if there's a long line, that can get frustrating. So you want to allow yourself plenty of time. Locate the starting position. Um, and again, that's something to keep in mind. 
Um, the people starting at the front of the race, if you're not planning to like go out and run a really fast time, if you're not planning to run five minute miles, uh, make sure you, you situate yourself back um, in the back of the start, or further back in the start line. Um, if you are planning to run five minute miles, then don't situate yourself um, in the back. You'll only find yourself really frustrated when the gun goes off. And again, hydration and nutrition is key. Make sure, you know, drink, you know, 16 ounces of, of water, you know, about two to three hours before the race. Drink another, you know, eight to 16, or eight ounces about within the last hour before the race. Um, and nutrition, again, you know, you've had this time of training, this four months of training. It's the best time to try to see what actually works for you as a pre-workout meal on Saturday mornings if, you're, if that's when you're doing your long run. Take those, take those, those, uh, those um, training program, those training times as a chance to try things out. Um, experiment with your diet a little bit. See what, see what works for you. Okay, some other little tips for race day. Um, you know, write your name on your front of your shirt. You know, it's amazing um, when you're running by, uh, you know, some of, the, some of the places where there'll be crowds out cheering um, for people along the race. They'll see your name and they'll cheer for you. And it's amazing what, little, what a little spark that can give you um, to just hear your, you know, someone's cheering and hear your name. Um, bring warm, dry clothes for after the race. Again, you want these to be, you know, these may even be different clothes than what you warmed up in. If it looks like it's rainy out, you're going to want something dry. Um, at the Harris Direct Seattle Half Marathon, they actually do have a clothing check. They have a nice little area um, where you can go in and have soup and yogurt and muffins and stuff. And it's kind of nice to have, you know, warm, dry clothing when you're hanging out and, you know, sharing stories with everybody else who did the race. And also, make plans to meet with family and friends after the race. Um, it's a big area, and there will be a lot of people there. So make sure you have very um, detailed plans. It's very frustrating to finish the race, and you're tired, and you know these people are your ride home, and you can't find them, or they have your car keys. Um, here are a couple of our participants who arranged to meet, and look how happy they are. <laughs> so. <laughs> So, um, and having been in a situation once where I did not make those arrangements, it was a little, it was a little frustrating, so. Um, step eight, celebrate your accomplishment. Um, I think it's really important to make some kind of plans afterwards, whether it's, you know, you're just going to go home and sleep, or you're just going to order takeout food and run a movie, or maybe get together with friends or family and go out for dinner or something. Do something to celebrate. This is actually one of our transplant recipients, Jennifer Herlihy, who's done, um, she's done the Harris Direct Seattle Half Marathon twice. She's actually at a party celebrating the second year anniversary of her liver transplant with her aunt. And I don't know if you can tell, but that cake is actually in the shape of a liver. So um, I can testify it was chocolate. So, um, so it, wasn't, it wasn't a liver cake. So. Okay, and step nine, recovery. Hopefully, you know, you'll, you'll uh, finish this half marathon and you won't be like, okay, check off that box, time to move on. Um, hopefully, it'll inspire you uh, to go out and train for the next one. Um, you know, I think it's really important, even though you may be so excited and so enthusiastic after you've done this first one that you want to go out the next day and keep training, but I think it's really important to allow yourself a little break. Uh, as a general rule of thumb, allow yourself one day for every mile of the race for full recovery. So after the half marathon, it'd be roughly two weeks, uh, not 13.1 days, as some people have tried to tell me. Um, and that doesn't mean don't do anything. You might, you might take a couple days and just take them completely off, but I think it's better, you know, but after that, kind of work back into some activities. Maybe this is a good time to try cross-training, do some cycling. Um, Exercise biking might be better in December here. Um, go to the pool, try yoga, do the Stairmaster. Do something just to kind of limber, your, get your muscles back into, into moving, but that won't have as much stress. Work at a lower intensity. Don't worry so much about how your mileage or how far you're going or how hard you're going. Um, just, you know, do, have a little bit more relaxed mindset. And again, stay on top of nutrition and hydration. 
Um, after a full marathon, it can actually take up to 48 hours for you to get fully hydrated after the event. Um, and the nutrition is only, you know, making sure you're getting in the carbohydrates, make sure you're getting an adequate protein. That's only going to help you to uh, get your energy stores built back up and help you to repair any damage that you've done. So those are our nine steps. Um, hopefully you've been able to pick up some kind of new information or hopefully these guys have inspired you that doing a half marathon is something that sounds enjoyable and, and sounds like fun. But at this point, I'd like to open it up to questions you can ask me or you can ask any of the participants in the panel. For the people who walk, um, how long does it take to walk the marathon? Well, a half marathon? Half marathon. Okay. Sorry. Um, I think Mark's been able to do it in two hours and 46 minutes. I think that's our fastest walker so far. We have a lot of people probably in the three to four hour range. Some people take a little bit over four hours. Nobody comes in last though, so. <laughs> There's a good mix of people out there. Um, the, the thing is you have the marathon finishers coming in at the same time. So you're never really alone. There's, there's people all around you. Um, several of you mentioned an obligation to the donor families, which um, was really amazing to me. I guess I'd never even um, thought about that part. Do the families always know? Um, I mean, do you always know who they are and they know who you are? I think it is possible for the patients to find out or have the opportunity to meet the donor family, but the actual organ transplant donation process is, is very confidential. So I, for instance, do not know who my donor family is. Um, and so when I walked the race, um, no, uh, they have no way of knowing that I did it. Um, and I think that may be fairly typical except for Ron here on the end. Maybe we'll let Ron speak to that too. I had the unique experience of meeting my donor family, and it was quite by accident. I had went to a function put on by Life Center Northwest with a Living Legacy Walk. And last year at the walk, I was not feeling too well, and so I had stayed back to man Team Transplant's booth. And uh, just before the race, the, the walk started, one, a young lady came up to the uh, table and asked me, um, what that we had to we could give out to brochures and stuff, and I talked to her and I said, um, "Well, are you an organ donor?" And she says, "Well, our, my family, one of my family members, was an organ donor." And I said, "Oh, which organ?" And she said, "All organs." And um, we talked a little bit and uh, found out that he was a marathon runner and that he had climbed Mount Adams 11 times and run marathons uh, all up and down the West Coast. And um, we talked a little bit, and um, I asked her, I said, what's your mother's name? And she says, Flo. And I said, well, I got Bill's heart, which is what as her mother's better significant other uh, at the time. And um, it was quite a little story. Um, she said, can I give you a hug? And before I could move, she reached across the table and gave me a hug. And so I walked around and we started all over and the tears were rolling and everything. And then her mother walked up about that time and said, this is the person that got Bill's heart. And so the tears started over again and so on. And then my wife walked up and started <laughs> over again. But we met, uh, I met her daughter. Um, I met her daughter's husband and grandkids and her. We had the fortune to meet two other times and just got an email from her last week asking what my next project was. And I told her we were doing the half marathon in Olympia and she said, I'll see you there in Olympia. So actually she had tracked me down and knew who I was. She hadn't shared it with her mother, but she had been tracking my doing the Seattle marathon, half marathon um, in the past. So she knew who I was. I happen to have a friend that runs half marathons, and she had mentioned to me that she had read, if you do a combination of running and walking, say a five to two or whatever combination, supposedly people that do that kind of ratio actually fear better than those that just run 
a total race. Have you found that to be true? That definitely could be true, and I think that that's a good way to transition from walking, or if you're starting a running program, I think incorporating run walking is a great way to do it. I usually tell people to start out running a minute, walking a minute for like 30 minutes or 20, 20 to 30 minutes. And then um, as the distances get longer, you can kind of play with the, the time that you spend running versus walking and see what works best for you. I think, um, you know, it's kind of nice in, in, a, in several ways. One is that, you know, it helps you to build up your endurance. Um, and then also I think it's a nice little mental game you can play with yourself. It kind of gives you kind of a pattern to think about as you're, as you're going along. Um, so I think that's definitely a great way to get started. I think a lot of people kind of think running and walking is like, okay, I'm going to run for as far as, I, as far as I can, and then I'll have to walk in. Um, I think this is a much better way to do it. I think you uh, definitely finish feeling a lot stronger. You don't feel so defeated, um, and you get a lot more out of it. So yeah, that's a great way to do it. Thank you very much for coming. <laughs>